Hello, scarves around the funnel, we're back. I am Laurie Dunsire, and the man, I'm going to say sitting across from me, but he's a few thousand miles away from me, so sitting across the pond, mm. Mark Donaldson. New intro, and I noticed last week that um, Gowser's goal in the cup final had been dropped. My Easter Road commentary had been dropped, so welcome to the Laurie Dunsire podcast. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Well, what, what you don't know at the point of us speaking is that I'll put a different goal in each oh. week. It won't always be me, but I just thought oh. I'd I thought I'd mix it up, so we might get. <laughs> so sometimes it'll be McGowan. You're not going to have too many chances. He's not scored. He's not scored millions of goals. You're going to have to be kind of sparse when it comes to his goals. Well, what we'll do is we'll just throw in some assists oh. for Ryan McGowan yes! as well. By, by the way, <laughs> um. You can introduce our special guest today, who's not Ryan McGowan. Ryan McGowan messaged us earlier saying, I'm not coming on tonight, boys, because I've got an assist clause in my contract now and I'm away to spend my money. So I'm not <laughs> doing the podcast with you just this week or something like that. Yeah, that's some kind of excuse. We can make up what we want because he's not here to correct us. Um, he, did so get an ex- he got an assist right at the he- last minute. Honestly, it's like, did. If, was, did. was there another team... The weekend, you score really late in stoppage. Oh, that honestly, yeah. Laurie, that really hurt. It, it, it did, really, it did. really hurt. We will get to that. We will get to that. I was trying just to focus on know, St. Johnston for a moment. Oh, I just I need to get it off my chest. It hurt, and it still yes. hurts, and it will continue to hurt. Anyway, well, yes, well, we'll, we'll talk about, of course, that game. But before then, we'll introduce uh, our guest this week, and it's uh, a returning guest, theatre director. And of course, Hearts fan Bruce Strachan. How are you doing, Bruce? Yeah, I'm really well. Thanks, uh, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, great to be back. Very pleased to have you on. It's um, very appreciative of you taking the time, given that it's Edinburgh Festival Month, which means you'll be, uh, I guess, run off your feet a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty busy. As, as literally as we're uh, recording, we've got uh, Sweet of A is giving it loudly in the uh, in the main stand in Section S, and uh, we've had two runs of one or two halves this afternoon. So it's uh, yeah, August is a it's a busy old month. Yeah, so you're you're coming not live, but at the time of recording, you're coming from Tynecastle Park. Yes, indeed. I, I should I very quickly say thank you to Davy Allen of, of Hearts Museum and. Um, for for letting me have the the museum, so I'm in the Hearts Museum to record this because it's a nice quiet place for uh, for the evening. A, a lovely setting as well, I'm sure. I can see the tenant sixes just just away from me. The tenant sixes trophy is still here. So. <laughs> <laughs> we tell me something. We don't still have that in our uh, uh, like trophies and achievements, do we? Because there was a spell in the program. It was like Hearts Honours, and that was actually listed. Tenant sixes oh. is, is in the in the trophy cabinet amongst. Few of the other uh, trinkets and things that are uh, that are in the brilliant museum. Uh, I, I mean, it is listed. I'm just I'm just going to have a look. Um, do we do we two, list two, it? two wins? I think well, eighty five at Ingolston and then one at the SECC. I always liked the tenant sixes. It was it was it was excellent. But but can you, that was when players like out with Rangers and Celtic, even probably them at times in the mid eighties, they were earning not much more than a decent earner on the street was earning. So it was a chance to win some extra cash for them. Can you, ma- can you imagine now, imagine that in the Premier League <laughs> down in England, a tenant sixes equivalent and De Bruyne and Haaland 
showing up on this godforsaken carpet, what you're likely to get either your arse cheeks burned or your knees skint, depending on how you fell. It just wouldn't happen these days, sadly, but something we can grab onto, like the pink newspaper and turnstiles that clicked when you handed over a freshly kind of made £10 note. Back in the day. <laughs> well, they, we asked Gary Locke who his five-a-side team would be, and someone pointed out after this had six show players. That, that, um, that Gary actually picked six players, and none of us noticed <laughs> at the time of recording. So they go... What, what, what would your tenant sixes team be? Exactly. The current team. So if we were gonna have tenant sixes this year. Ross Stewart and goals. <laughs> no, 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 no. I have got to pretend. I didn't mean having... during a, the season when we've got another game on. No, no, no. I'm I'm not having Mr. Good Looks and Goal throwing himself around some daft cement structure. No, no, no. He's he's been protected. No, but seriously, Gordon and goal. You want defenders that so uh, Kingsley, surely he's he's a baller. Smash it from his own box yeah. the ten and sixes pitch pitch. Kingsley, Barry Mackay. Yeah, got Barry. Shankland. Mackay. Shankland will just stand inside the, the box. Because I don't think there was offside, if I remember rightly, back in the ten and sixes. So Shankland, Kingsley, Gordon, Mackay. Uh, what about tricky guys? Alan Forrest, I think, would be yeah, a Forrest good, would be a good six, one. Six, we kind of need but, a bit more support, Bruce, don't we? At the at the back, here we need one more defender. Who who we're we going for? Well, I was I was just going to Cammy Devlin. I wonder if he might have been quite a good uh, five five or six player. You know, just busy all over the place. And um, yeah, I think uh, Cochrane Cochrane's on great form at the moment. Cochrane would be quite a good five player. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna put a guy at lock here. We'll have ten players by the time. <laughs> On the left side. Um, anyway, well, I mean, it it would be it would be fun. It would be entertaining if it came back. Um, I would certainly uh, have skepticism that <laughs> they'd allow um, full time footballers to do it these days. But didn't Bob Malcolm get done for playing fives when he was a Rangers player back in? I say back I, in I, the day. I'm talking like twenty years ago. I don't know, but I once played up front with Bob Malcolm, but it wasn't Bob Malcolm, the ex-Rangers player. It was Bob Malcolm, the disc jockey from Radio 4th back in the <laughs> 70s, 80s and, and 90s. And we played up front at Turnhouse Golf Club. Um, I have to say, it was probably the most immobile front pairing that any team, the fourth Stars or the All-Stars as we called ourselves, um, me and Bob Malcolm up front, and it was the day I, I, I scored with my hand and the referee didn't see it. The referee was a guy called Tom Brown, big, tall referee from the 90s, I think, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And um, he he was the referee that, that hurt his wrist refereeing one day. I think he fell and he limped off. And to this day, I don't understand how someone that hurt his wrist limps off a football pitch but yeah there's so we're off on ten so bruce mentions the trophy room inside the hearts museum that leads to a tenant sixes tangent you've started on an ex-rangers bob malcolm player i've taken that to radio fourth days um so it's your turn for the next tangent dunsar well yes i'll, I'll get to a tangent at some point but i think we've, we're, we're tangented out um for this uh, opening to the podcast so for this episode for this episode, we're going to talk about harm and loathing against the Bernie. And I feel, you know, I feel like we're trying to, to dodge it a little bit at the moment, but we will get to that. Of mm. course, the, the game from the weekend. Uh, we're going to speak with Bruce about his um, two 
shows that are currently on during the Edinburgh Festival. We will also look ahead to Hearts' next match, which is this weekend against Dundee United. Here goes Barry Mackay for Hearts into the hips half. Curls over the top, lovely ball. Shanklin's in there, tight angle. Shanklin knocks it towards goal! And it's a debut goal! It's Derby for Lawrence Shanklin! Wonderful ball by Barry Mackay! And what a way to get your first competitive goal in Maroon! Lawrence Shanklin on the angle! First blood hearts! Hibernian nil! Heart of Midlothian one! Martin Boyle going forward, rolls it to Johan, into the box, gets around Halka, good play, back towards Boyle, he's done it! Martin Boyle with possibly the last touch of the game on his return to Hibs has levelled and earned Hibs a point here in the Edinburgh Derby. Hibernian won, Martin Lothian won. Okay, so Edinburgh... Derby weekend, the anticipated match around the capital, um, a game that obviously both sides were quite a bit of excitement about. You, you often, Mark, get a derby where one team is feeling a bit better about it than the other, usually obviously the side who's, who's on form or who's had the edge, which you know predominantly has been hearts, but it's been the odd time when Hibs have had that. But start of the season it kind of it gets a bit more open, doesn't it? Because both sides have got a little bit of a sense of optimism. They've not had enough time to be dashed yet. And I guess Hibs would have maybe fallen into the category of being slightly apprehensive about the game. But the return of Martin Boyle, mm. uh, which was confirmed just before the weekend, obviously spurred them on a little bit and gave them a bit of a lift. So it felt like there was a bit of a buzz from both sides ahead of this game. I don't think that buzz would have appeared from a Hibernian perspective had Martin Boyle not have re-signed. And for it to come about the way it did, not just the re-signing, but the fact he was on the bench and available for selection, and he himself said afterwards he hadn't played since the 28th of June, and kind of sports science went out the window. But it's amazing in a game like that what adrenaline can do. And they they kind of said the day before um, that, yeah, we've signed him um, and get along to Easter Road 15 minutes early, uh, and we'll, we'll parade him. And at no stage did anybody kind of think, oh, he'll, he'll be in the squad. But they were able to to get him registered. And I think without any of that happening, uh, I think there would be huge momentum from, from a Hearts perspective going into that, more than Hibernian, despite the fact that both sides won on the opening day. Neither side were really at their best. And it was a game that I was delighted was sold out because there's been plenty of games, not recently, but before that, where there was a lot of empty seats. But the atmosphere was excellent. Loved the Hearts lineup, And yeah, it was a, it was a good way to start the season. In terms of the, the lineup, Mark, um, don't get a lot of You got of it right. right. You but... got it right. Let me virtually pat you on the back because <laughs> you, you. you absolutely nailed it. The team you would have picked was the team that, that was selected. And I liked it, I have to say. So well done to you for uh, <laughs> for, for, for selecting it. But I like the fact he went to four, because obviously Robbie begs yeah. scarves around the funnel. Listener heard McGowan last week and totally changed his plan after listening to Ryan's tactic talk. Yeah, I mean, I think, obviously you're, you're tongue-in-cheek, I think obviously his plan would have probably been been leaning towards a four after the first and second half against Ross County last week where we looked very uncomfortable with the back three and with Atkinson on the right who 
albeit it had been unwell. Um, so it made sense going to a four-two-three-one. Although it was a team I wanted, I was still quite surprised we he decided to go with Haring and Grant. I thought he might be very tempted to go with with Devlin or potentially not put Boyson from the start and maybe go a little bit more cautious. So on paper, I really like the team. So Gordon and goals, Smith right back, Cochran left back, Halkett rolls in the centre, Haring and Grant centre midfield with Mackay, Boyce, Forrest, the three behind Lawrence, Shanklin. So I liked the way we set out, but I have to say, Hib started the better. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they were up for it. They threatened a few times down the right. Chris Caron got a few decent crosses in. Um, could have done with some players on the end of it. I thought Ellie Yuan looked lively. I thought he looked a very promising player up front. Had a shot that was fairly easily blocked at the near post by Craig Gordon on the counter attack. But certainly the first quarter of the game, Hebs seemed to have the edge. They they did. I thought the first couple of minutes Hart started on the front foot. But after that, we, we kind of gave them possession and and they, they didn't make the most of it. But I, I think you're right. They, they did that throughout the game. Porteous and Bashiri. It sounds like um, a Scottish-American law firm that aren't very good at defence. <laughs> and, and that's the way that they, they performed. But we, we, didn't, we didn't do enough. In that first, I mean, Portis had one of his worst games in a Hibs jersey, but he thinks he's a player. He thinks he's Beckenbauer, and that's that's the problem. When he just focuses on playing football, he's actually a very good player. But when his head's full of nonsense, when he posts on his Instagram stories a, a still photo of him with his back turned, having left one of our players in a heap, there's a screw missing there. And you, I don't, I don't care about Portis. He's a Hibs player, but there is something in there. But he, he has a tendency to get carried away with with games like that. But we didn't force enough uh, pressure onto him, especially Bashiri. Bashiri's the guy they let go, and then we're told, oh, by the way, because he got on loan last season. By the way, he played enough games to trigger the permanent loan signing. You need to take him back, and you need to pay us for him. And they kind of. <laughs> So one of many fuck-ups from Hibernian over the summer. Um, but we didn't put enough pressure on them. And, I mean, the early stages, let's, take the, let's talk about the first 20 minutes before we, we talk about Shanklin's opening goal. And it after a, a reasonable start to the game possession-wise, first two or three minutes, we gave them the ball and, and we looked a little bit out of sorts, I thought. We certainly did. And I think what Hibs did quite well was they got the ball forward quickly. And they got in behind, and I, I don't know if that would have been their plan anyway, or the fact they looked at how Ross County played. Because I mean, I think you remember Ross County last week; they just got it back to front very quickly, over the top, trying to get into the corners or over the shoulder of the defenders, um, and it worked to good effect. I thought Ella Yuan was excellent running in behind. I thought he looked, like I said, a, a very decent capture for them. What I would say is, I think Craig Halkett and Kai Rolls was much more reliable as a defense a central defensive unit than the civic Halkett Rolls trio that we had obviously against Ross County the week prior. But it it's it's not about possession and it's not about the chances that you create. It's about scoring them and that's exactly what Hearts did uh in the midway point of the first half, 22nd minute. And it's all about two players, Barry Mackay first of all wonderful vision, a no-look pass. Who th- who thought we'd ever have Hearts players doing no-look passes <laughs> to create goals? Uh, wonderful ball right over the, 
defence, perfectly weighted. Lawrence Shanklin takes it down. Great run. Um, really nice finish through David Marshall's legs. Uh, you kind of watch it back and you've got to appreciate his um, his ability, but also just that striking instinct because he's not many places he can put that. Marshall makes himself big and it's the only real place that you can put that to score is through his legs. And he does that mm. very neatly on his right foot as well, actually. When I saw it in real time, although there was defenders kind of blocking me partly, I thought he must have got his left foot around it, but he gets the outside of his right boot onto it. Um, in terms of the goal itself, um, Bruce, kind of what we've been hoping for, isn't it? A number nine who gets on the end of things and can finish. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's 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 why he's here, I think, isn't it? For that, just one shot, one chance, one goal. You know, that's that's kind of what we've been missing. And, and, and it was just brilliant to see us. Kind of really hoping he'd push on, get more kind of chances like that. But that was pretty much his only chance like that. The game there was one at the near post later on, wasn't there? But um, I mean, the other thing I liked about that goal was that the voice was right, right next to him. There was two of them, you know. So if that ball hadn't landed to Shanklin, voice was just right in behind him. So that the whole movement, you know, going forward for that goal was was excellent. Mark, I want to ask you about one thing uh, in relation to the goal. Now there was lots of comments. I, I have to say didn't even clock at the time, partly because I was just jumping about at the back of the West Stand. But questions about handball. Um, we will have VAR before the season is up in the Scottish Premiership. I have to say, I've now watched it a few times. I'm not entirely sure if it is handball or if it's not handball. <laughs> Are you? It's not handball. It's not handball. The new handball law states that the shoulder goes to the end of the shirt sleeve or the bottom of the armpit. But that's obviously not the case in a long sleeve jersey. So it's one of these, if that's given as a handball with VAR, it's very difficult to overturn. If it's not given as a handball by VAR, it's very difficult to, to overturn because it's that kind of, that area. But the handball law changed and that for me, was a, a perfectly good goal. Um, it's 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 frustrating if you're on the end of that one. You'll be saying, "Well, that's a handball. That 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 shouldn't count." But it went in our favour, and I think that was the correct decision made by the officials. Hart's got a bit of a a lift, as you'd expect from that. Boyce had a header a couple of minutes after, which was fairly comfortably saved by David Marshall, but. Hibs probably still feel hard done by the halftime scoreline. I think on the half hour mark, Joe Newell sent a free kick in. I think it was Noah Kenna who got the touch towards goal. It looked like it might be creeping in or a Hibs player, maybe Melkerson, might be able to just confirm the goal over the line. But Lawrence Shanklin was there to do his defensive duties to clear. Three minutes later, Melkerson himself whipped in from the right. A decent header from Ellie Yuan, which Craig Gordon got a strong right hand to, which I think was a decent save, although a keeper of Craig Gordon's calibre, I think you're expecting him to to keep that one out. Um, and at the break, Hearts had the one goal lead, and I think on the whole, um, slightly against the run of play in that half, but certainly what you would have taken. I, I think. What what is I, it, what, but what's against the run of play? Laurie, because you can have 33% of the ball and it all be really good possession and the opposition has 67% of the ball and they're just passing it around their defence. They had slightly better chances, but I wouldn't say they were great chances. I would say they were kind of 
reasonable chances. So, so what's the I kind th- of definition there? I thought they edged the first half. Maybe you know, they weren't much better than us, but I thought they were the better. I thought we were a bit poor. I thought we ended up being pushed back a little bit. We were a little bit passive on the whole in the first half. In all honesty, I thought we, I thought, yeah, we, I thought, I thought we could have been better. I thought we were much better in the second half. Um, but yeah, just, just what, what's the, the kind of definition? Um, it's an interpretation. I mean, you can't of course say it is. a definition. Of course. I mean, I felt when we scored the goal, we hadn't had really any suggestion of getting a goal, whereas Hibs had had a couple of at least half chances. I thought they looked slightly more threatening. Um, I mean, I don't want to, to read it too much. I just thought on the, the balance of play in the first half, they would have felt slightly hard done by going in behind. Um, but I actually, I, I liked the way that we started the second half because although mm-hmm. we were ahead and hadn't been at our best, our best period was the sort of third yes. quarter of the game, as in the first quarter, the first half of the second half, because we started the second half very positively. And we, and Bruce mentioned. Boyce being up top, and I talked about being a four-two-three-one, but it actually looked more like a four-four-two at times. Mm-hmm. Boyce was getting up with uh, with Lawrence Shankland. We were stretching Hibs, and I really liked it. I mean, the opening thirty seconds of the second half, Shankland plays it through for Barry Mackay, and as much as Barry Mackay's fantastic player has been a great signing for Hearts, if you're going to level some criticism at, maybe the two criticisms which you could factor into this game is the big matches. Does he always do enough? And is his kind of finishing slash decision making when it gets to being him through on goal or him with the chances, is that as good as it could be? And I thought when he picked that ball up, the best thing to do would be to run through on goal and get a pop in it at goal rather than try and cut back into the sort of the Hibs defenders in the centre. Laurie, if, if Barry Mackay's finishing matched his ability with the football, Barry Mackay would not be playing for Heart of Midlothian Football Club. I understand that. I understand that. You know, he's late twenties now. He's he's not likely to 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 get significantly better than what he is, which is why he's been a decent player in the Scottish top flight. Didn't quite make it in the chances he had in the English second tier. Um, I get that. You know, you 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 get a player with his skill and his ability to pick a pass who can also score goals. He's not going to be at Hearts. He's probably not going to be in Scotland. But um, I guess it's just a frustration sometimes because obviously a good opportunity and then. Shortly after, just the 47th minute, so second minute of the second half, James Forrest gets in behind. It was a Porteous error, which you know you, you highlighted he wasn't at his best in this game. Shankland stretched on the end of the cross. It was well blocked by Marshall, and Barry Mackay follows up. And you've got to credit David Marshall here, because I think it's a really good double save. Um, you know, the first one, it'd be easy to let slip through his legs, and the second one, he gets up quickly. Very Gordon-esque, to be, to be mm-hmm. fair, with the reaction and getting up and doing it again. But again, you've probably got to say that you're favouring the attacking player when he picks up edge of the six-yard box over the goalkeeper. That's a brilliant save. The first save is routine. The second save is a brilliant save. You know what it's like in football when you see a still of a piece of action? And sometimes that still can can kind of be misleading, especially when it comes to whether a tackle should have been a red card or a yellow card or whichever punishment. But if you stop your uh, DVR, whatever you're using, you press pause as the ball's at Barry Mackay's feet. Barry Mackay, I think, has done everything right. I think he's gone back across the goalkeeper. I think he's put it in the big side of the goal. And I think eight, nine times out of ten, that ends up in the back of that. That's just a brilliant save. 
Um, Porteous was denied by Gordon at Hamden with a brilliant save, which is going to be up there as one of the finest saves I've seen forevermore. This was an excellent save, um, and it, it it kept them in the game. But I don't think there was... It's easy to say, put the ball in the back of the net. He could easily have done that. I think he did everything right. He, he lifted it. Um, you, you've got to think as well, I'm talking about pausing a piece of action. Um, I mean, I, I ask Bruce when he when he's in the theatre. I mean, it's a slightly, it's a little bit slower, but you pause something right and then you can maybe rectify something that's that's taken place and you've got a little bit more time. Football's a million miles an hour. It's totally instinctive, whether it's ad-libbing in the theatre or whether it's Barry Mackay deciding, okay, I'm going back across goal. I think he's done everything right. I just think in this instance, it's a super save. Yeah, I think he, he's done everything that, that you would probably want him to do. And you've got, probably got to give Marshall that one. I mean, I'm sure about to come on to it, but it's Atkinson's one for me is the one where you think really that, that should be a, a net buster. Yeah, well, I mean, mm. the, the Atkinson the Atkinson chance comes um, quite a bit later, actually, because this is the start of the second half. And it, this, is a part, this is a part of my issue. After the game, a lot of people disagreed. I felt, and we'll obviously get to what happened towards the end of the game, on the whole, gutted the way the game ended up, but on the balance of play over the entire 90 minutes, a draw was probably about right. Robbie talked about dominating the second half. Now, Hearts were the better team in the second half. They looked like they should have been able to take the game by the scruff of the neck and put it beyond Hibs. However, as much as I agree with that to an extent, those chances, the Barry Mackay ones at the start of the second half in the opening two or three minutes until the sub started happening past the hour mark where there was a shape change and Martin Boyle came on, there wasn't really much else that we did in terms of big chances, big saves or glaring misses. Not in the first half. No, but in the I second think. half, I'm talking about those those opening minutes of the second yeah, yeah. half. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, for the next for the next half an hour yeah, but, of the game, but, but we were comfortable. And when you're we going up, you don't... So here, here's the thing, we, we were comfortable enough. However, and th- this is the big thing, whether it's about Robbie Nielsen whether it's about hearts, we, at a goal up, we started the second half the way we should have started the second half, looking for more. I agree, I agree. No one can can complain about that. We would not be talking about the double change, Civic and Atkinson on for Smith and Forrest after 63 minutes, had Martin Boyle not have scored that equalising goal. But he did, so we have to talk about it. Was that the right change? Could we have waited? Did we need to change the shape? Are we inviting them on when we know that they're going to be pressures? A lot more questions when it when it comes to that. But they weren't threatening at that time, and we were comfortable. But, but could we have done more? Yeah, I, I, I know, I know. Hindsight, and you could say, look, if Robbie had gone more attacking, and then they'd scored because we'd been more open, would have exactly. taken the blame for why you go and attack him one nil. So I know it's it's a tricky one, but. The thing is, in football, you often live or, live or die by the end result. So, if you if your team plays poorly, um, but you end up getting a win, people will overlook maybe the performance. If things seem to be going well, but ultimately you get a sucker punch goal for a defeat or for a draw when you are winning, then people will scrutinise what happened before that. And I think the fact that we were comfortable. And the fact that we looked like we could take the game to Hibs and probably put the game beyond them, that's what frustrated me because I felt like we invited Hibs back into the game when it looked like we had the quality to actually go and put it beyond them. Because I hate, you know, 
a 1-0 lead when you get late in a game, it doesn't matter who the two teams are, how well one's played or how badly another's played. You have this natural attack versus defence thing that happens. And they almost seem to inevitably make at least one opportunity, even if it's just from a long punted ball into the box and a break of it to someone. And that's why it always makes me a little bit nervous. So just after the hour mark, Hibs bring on Martin Boyle, 62nd minute. Within 60 seconds of that, Hearts make a double change. Atkinson and Sibbett come on, the two players who dropped out from the team from last week, and Smith and Forrest go off. Hearts go to a back three. What I, what I would say, which I was not aware of at the time, I wasn't sure, Anthony Brown said, um, obviously former guest of the show, journalist and author Anthony Brown says, regarding Hearts switched to a 3-4-3 yesterday, ordinarily I think they'd have stuck with 4-2-3-1, but Smith was clearly in pain. Atkins and Civic both likely to be exposed defensively in a four, hence the switch. They still looked in control for 27 minutes in that formation until stoppage time. Um, Bruce, it, it, in your eyes, uh, we're obviously making a, a judgment on this. We'll probably never know 100%, but are we making a change which is purely enforced or were we being reactionary to, to Hibbs bringing on Martin Boyle? Or was it a bit of both? I mean, I think the switch was probably led by the Michael Smith injury, like you say, is, is, who's a pure kind of right fullback. Atkinson or Sibic, he wouldn't describe as either of those. Maybe Lewis Nielsen was maybe the better call if we were, if we were making a sub and wanted to stay four. But I don't, I, I mean, my view, having watched it, is that I'm not sure you can really blame the system for what happened in the last three or four minutes. There was an awful lot of individual decision making, which, which was you know, a bit crazy for me, which I, I'm not sure you can label it the system on this particular occasion. Mark, in terms of the, it's not even necessarily the system, and this can be down to players just naturally in the game with the lead. I felt we became a bit more cautious as that after that point. And I don't know if it was, as I say, the players subconsciously, with Martin Boyle being on, trying to defend a lead, or if it was instructions from the sideline, I can't see exactly what Robbie's instructing, but it just felt like we were going into our shell a little bit more. And that's what frustrated me, I think, a bit. And that's why I said in the balance of play, a lot of people said dominated, should have put the game beyond them. I didn't see all these chances that people felt like. And I think you don't, you can't read exactly into stats, but the stats didn't back that up either. So uh, where do you think that, that that game was a game that Hearts should have put to bed and and it was just one of those things that they scored at the end. That's a tough one because Robbie Nielsen has selected a 4-2-3-1 to begin the game because he thinks that's a better formation than a 3-4-3 against the opposition. So by going back to the 3-4-3 or 3-5-2 or whatever it is, 3-4-2-1, it's, it's not so much an admittance of this isn't our strongest lineup, but it's our, it, it best suits the players that... That, that we're bringing on. I, I, again, we all, all this comes down to one momentary lapse in concentration. I think it was by Kai Rolls, um, a good bit of skill in the end by uh, Yuan, and then the cutback, and we didn't get close enough to to, to to Martin Boyle. That was the that was the issue. And and if if Bushiri's header wasn't enough of a warning just before that then I don't know what was. There's two things that happen, and you, you're spot on when you say towards the end of a game, the team that's trailing, especially if they're a home team, they'll throw everything at the opposition. They'll push bodies forwards, but they'll also leave gaps. And at times, just leaving one up um, isn't really a, 
an, a, much of an option um, for the opposing team because if they get the ball back, which they normally do, if it's in transition and they can turn it over quickly, you, you get, you're guaranteed that they're going to leave at least one back against your one. So t- to leave two up top, uh, it, look, this is all conversations that none of it would have taken place had we not have conceded a late goal. But, but we did. It, it did. We did. So <laughs> we, we have to talk about it. I, I, I don't know. When you watch on TV, you were at the game. When we watch on TV, it's like me commentating from a monitor. I can see what the viewer can see. I can't see what people at the game can see. So I don't know when the ball's inside the hearts box, where's our positional striker? Where's Lawrence Shankland? Is he in the centre? Is he out left? Is he out right? Does he? We were getting very, we were we were getting more and more more and more deep at times. It was we, just we, we were, but the ball. at times and, everyone. But was it was playing. just him. That, but that's the thing. You can't keep inviting our position on top of you. If if you put two men and leave two men up front, they have to have at least two. They cannot have one. So if you have one, they only need a one on one. So they can, in essence, have nine attacking players. Um pushing forward so I I didn't see that's what I'm trying to say I didn't see whether it, it looked like it was just Shanklin because every time the ball went up to him when we got it back yeah we weren't leaving yeah and even then he was sometimes stick. dropping in sometimes it, and he was isolating it didn't top, yeah. so, so in this instance attack can be one of the better forms of defence but the bottom line is it was a sloppy goal to lose it was a nice bit of quality from Yuan, but it should have been uh, it should have been broken up before that um, and and I don't think we would have conceded that had Kingsley been on the pitch, put it that way. Probably not. I, I mean, we did have the chance to to get a second 12 minutes from time, as Bruce mentioned. Um, a nice move on the right. Boyce kind of back. Atkinson's shot then blocked by a defender. They'd look to be heading in. Uh, but then into added time. And it's like you said, we had the we had the, the scares before him because when Boyle Boyle gets it in the 93rd minute and this is the that's when I thought the headline was written you know when he gets the ball he shapes the shoot and it's a nice block to send out from a corner I was like oh that was his moment have we survived obviously mm-hmm. the corner ends up falling to Bushiri who should score as well heads it over and this is where you're frustrated because you're you've played you're into the 95th your 95th minute we had a goal kick approaching the 95th minute and then with 30 seconds left Hibs have a throw in in their own half and no matter what the situation if you're looking at that if you freeze the game and you, the, the opponents have a throw in their own half you've got 30 seconds left to defend it and you've got everyone back you've, you you should not be conceding in the next <laughs> 10 seconds basically Laurie, Laurie we had a corner at Easter Road playing oh, against nine men and we still couldn't stop Inverness no, that was your fault for commentating <laughs> Well, yeah, you were at a wedding in Aberdeen or something. Was it? Yeah. I was but actually I think... at the game as a fan, but that's that, that's oh. we're not going to go to that tangent. But no. like, okay, so fr- from a credit point of view, it is very well worked between Yuan and Boyle. To be fair, nice quick one too catches us a little bit off guard. But Kai rolls a little bit sleeping. It's maybe late in the game. He, he looks like he has the chance to just take Boyle out as well. I feel maybe a more experienced defender will know it's ninety fifth minute. I'm not on a yellow. I just take a yellow here. Clip his heels. Um, looks like he kind of pulls away from doing that. Halkett doesn't want to give away a penalty. He looks tired. Yuan does well to get around him. And the ball in, and it's just good awareness from Martin Boyle, um, unfortunately, to stab at home. And it's one of these moments where yeah, I saw lots of people 
giving him, you know, having a go at Hibs fans, celebrating a draw, celebrating equaliser. It doesn't matter. It's only a draw. You know, if, if you score in the 95th minute like that in a derby, even if it's to only get a draw, you're celebrating. If it's hearts in the same boat, they'd be going mad as well. Pitch what invasion too much. What, what, pitch what, invasion what, too much. Yeah, but other than 100%. That, what did Graham Weir do? And we've celebrated draws before. Was Ali Mosturk's goal an equaliser? Certainly was. Well, yeah. Certainly so, was. Of course we've celebrated. Like, that's hypocrisy. We would do exactly the same. Don't give it the holier than thou. Well, how, how dare they do it? Look, it's a game we should have won and we didn't. We didn't defend well. And I, I get what you're saying about Yuan doing well, but it's the cutback. We've got bodies there. We've got an overload. We should be doing better from that cutback. Yeah. The one job that at least one of them's got to do is be like a second skin to Martin Boyle. Right? So while Yuan's ta- while Yuan's kind of ability gets him there, he's, there's still a lot of work to be done before that ball's in the back of the net. And you've got to be proactive as a defender. You've got to know that, look, there's only pretty much one real place that this is going to go. And there's about two or three hearts defenders around him. And we didn't do it. So we've only got ourselves to blame. One of the things that really strikes me, um, give credit to Hibs, I know we're on a Hearts podcast, but but the difference pace makes, you know, Boyle with a bit of pace, Johan with a bit Huge of pace up front. Yeah. We didn't have that in, in terms of counter-attack. You know, you're not really able to put that ball over the top. We've got no one on the pitch who's going to go and stretch. We're not the quickest team, are we, Bruce? Certainly not up top. No, no, no. We're, yeah. we're really lacking, I think, a bit of pace up up, up top. And, and you know, the, both of the sort of runs for the goal are are you know, basically boil out strips rails, he's gone, and then Johan does the same to, to Halkett. And so, you know, that's that's made the big difference for me. What I would say about Martin Boyle, uh, from a Hearts perspective, I thought Alex Cochran did terrifically well against him. He's started the season well, hasn't he? He's done so well. Um, and ultimately, obviously, Boyle got the headlines, he got the goal, and that's what happens. It doesn't matter if you only get one chance, um, if you bury it, but when he was out on the right, try to take on Alex Cochran. I tell you, he wasn't getting much change out of him. Here's an interesting one that you won't be aware of unless someone told you after the game, because it was on Sky. And it was Crocker and uh, and Walker that were doing the commentary. And initially, there were going to be four added minutes. Oh. And then it was changed to five added minutes. Now, I, did, like, I did not know that, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm annoyed. I, was like, I mean, I was annoyed then, but now I'm annoyed again. <laughs> Because Andy Walker made a comment, like any other offers, like we'll go up to six, for example. But the first announcement they made was it was going to be four added minutes. A few seconds later, they said, right, it's it's now five added minutes. We're hearing it's now five added minutes. You can can dissect this to the nth degree. Bottom line is you're 1-0 up in an Edinburgh derby, having controlled, not dominated, but controlled the majority of the second half. You should be doing better than that. And it hurts. What do we learn from it? We learn that our game management needs to be better in certain situations. We were a goal down against Ross County. We went gung-ho, played a little bit of freestyle in the second half. We are able to turn it around because we were woeful in the first half. Um, but 1-0 up. We weren't a goal down, game- but we had a poor first half. Yeah. I'm sorry, Yes. And we had a poor first half. We were lucky that we, we should have been. We should have been about 3-0 down. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Um, but in adversity, we, we were able to turn that around. We were able to be from from where we were in that performance, a kind of wake-up call. It's a bit frustrating that the first game of the season, the wake-up call had to be delivered by the coach, the manager, the head coach at half time. These players can't just flick a switch and kind of 
whether it's a lack of leadership on the pitch, I, I don't know what it is. Um, but all's well that ends well in the first game. In the second game, we have to learn to be better at game management when we're leading by a goal to nil. Could we have maintained the way we started the second half past 63 minutes when we when we made the change? Were we too wary? And this would be the point that I think a lot of Hearts fans might think. Do we worry too much about the opposition um, rather than letting them or giving them stuff to worry about? Oh, Boyles, come on. Do we change it? Is it because of Smith? We don't, we don't know that. <laughs> Go for a second, but do it in a way that you're not going gung-ho. So I think game management is is something that we have to learn from and 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 keep playing till till the end. Smarts, I, I think either yourself or Bruce Bruce said it. Rolls, take the foul, take a yellow card, know your opponent, know the danger he, he can do, know that you're not on a yellow, so it's a free kick, the team can regroup. Just be smarter. We are going to try and do a man of the match for every game now. We've only just kind of introduced this. We're going to mix between getting that picked by the audience using the likes of Twitter. Um, Cochrane was the kind of pick from what we got feedback from on social media after the weekend. Um, comments such as Phil Fielding said, Cochrane was excellent for me. Um, uh, paying up by getting the win, but we'll win more than lose playing like that. Uh Close on things is Graham Taylor. I thought Haring was excellent. Stroll through the game, but Cochrane was probably my man of the match. Did everything that he was supposed to do correctly and just a solid all-round showing. Uh, Walker said Cochrane edged it for me. Thought he was determined, aware, and loads of energy. Um, Jambo Pete said Cochrane never missed a tackle and not flustered all day. Quite a few more of those. A few other picks, but Cochrane was definitely the outright winner. And I think our pick last week was Cochrane as well. So I think that's two out of two for Alex Cochran, man of the match so far for the season. Um, and if we're going to end this segment on a positive, then there you go. Welcome to the Alex Cochran fan club. Right, it's August, which means it's festival month in Edinburgh again. Now we had the festival back last year, although it was a fairly reduced kind of schedule calendar but this is the first year that it's back to its sort of um, full, full festival. And I think before we talk about the um, the shows that you've produced, Bruce, it's just great, isn't it, to have a kind of feeling of, we've said normality so many times haven't we, over the last few years. What is normality? What was normal? But it is nice to have something like the festival back, similar to having football back with fans having the Edinburgh Festival back in full flow is, is a positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the arts, you know, the Edinburgh Festival is one of the, the biggest things in the whole world. So to have it, you know, back and thriving in the city is is uh, is a brilliant thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's wonderful to see. And although it's been a little bit quieter, I think in terms of audience-wise, I suppose hopefully it'll pick up as the month goes on. We're still um, not even a full week into the twenty. 22 festival yet uh, but of course we want to talk about uh, your two productions now we've spoken about them both previously on the podcast um, we spoke at War of Two Halves when that was on which was now three years ago I can't believe it was 2019 
that that was first showing in Edinburgh. And we had you on last July, actually. You came on the podcast very kindly and you chatted about hearts and you also spoke about your second show, Sweet FA, which was just starting at that point as well. Um, now, the good news from a selection point of view, a variety point of view, Bruce, is we've got both of them this August. Yeah, both both back. Um, well, I think, yeah, as you say, because the festival's back in full swing, we were we were keen just to try and put both out there. We've got them both, you know, I've done them the last few years. Uh, War of Two Assets started in 2018, would you believe? So it's now four years since it first kicked off. Oh, was it? Was um, it? Yeah. Yeah. So it must have been when I went there. It must have been 2018 because, oh God, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we just thought that, you know, that Sweet FA was, you know, was popular last year, but obviously it was a quite a fringe show with the full fringe. We thought it would, you know, have a chance to see a, a sort of fuller audience and not having done War of Two Halves for two or three years, we felt the time was maybe right to just give that another air in and, and let more people, you know, have a chance to experience it. So let's let's talk about the two shows. Uh, and we'll we'll assume that maybe people, some people listening, aren't aware of them or haven't listened to us when we've spoken about them before. So we'll start with a war of two halves, which four years old now. Um, uh, talk us through. It. So, what is what is a war of two halves? If you're speaking to someone who's not sure what they want to do at the fringe, and obviously we're we're talking to Hearts fans who are listening in. Um, what is the production, and why would they want to go and see it? So, um, a war of two halves tells the. What is the true story of, of the, the Hearts team that went to fight in the First World War with McRae's battalion? And um, it follows the journey of that team, who were a really successful team at that time. They'd won 19 of the first 21 games. They'd beaten uh, Rangers at Ibrox. They'd beaten Celtic here. They'd, they'd smashed Hibs in the Cup 6-0. Um, and they were, they, were, they were the talk of the tune, quite literally. They were the, they, they were the, the, the form team. And uh, through the season, through kind of pressure from the external voices the press and everything they were encouraged to to volunteer and then they signed up and um, uh, en masse uh, 16 of the players went 13 signed up together um, and uh, were sort of paraded famously by George McCree who led the battalion and uh, went off to fight in France with, with various different um, you know consequences and, and the play takes us through that story and it does so by moving around Tynecastle Park into various different locations and we visit the home dressing room, we go to a, um, a specially built kind of trench set in the in the far corner of the stadium and then it concludes in the in the memorial garden. So it's a it's a real kind of immersive story and tells you the, the sort of the real kind of heart if of of what that story is all about. Yeah, I think that's the wonderful part of it from from memory when I went to see it is the the incredible journey that you go on, the unique journey that you go on um, because it's at Tynecastle and so you, you utilise the stadium so well um, and how how did that come about in terms of deciding how you were going to sort of choreograph it almost around the ground? Um, I mean through the absolute brilliant cooperation of hearts it has to be said, initially we just wanted to try and put a play on and, and, and put it on here and you know, as we kind of had the conversations about what that could be, it, it sort of became clear that the club were going to be okay with us perhaps doing it in a more promenade style. Um, and so we just kept asking, you know, well, could we go here? <laughs> what about if we did a thing pitch side? How do you think about that? What if we use the dressing room? And, and you know, they, they, they could see the logic and we sort of explained how we felt it might fit into the story. And then we were still writing it at that time. So we would then kind of adapt it and 
and sort of make the journey flow into you know, into that you know physical journey around the stand. But it's it's been a different journey every time we've done it. So we're we're not able to get into the new home dressing room because of COVID red zones this year. So we're we're back in the wheat field this year, which is where we did it in 2018. So it's a different, it's been a slightly different route each each time, um, but that makes it every time you do it unique. Great. Well, let's have a little a little listen to a snippet from a war of two halves. So there you have just a little taster of of what is a wonderful show. And what, what what do you expect people to? to feel what what is the aim for them when they come out what will they what the impact do you think they'll will have on them after they've they've gone to see the show it's a it's a very powerful piece it's very moving and it's very poignant and genuinely get lots of tears particularly at certain moments that are, that are very moving when you sort of realize what's happening and you know it's a funny thing because if you've got any clue about hearts you know the story you kind of know what happens but it's it's when you start to see it happening that that's when, when people are moved by it and um you know that's not to make it sound like it's all morbid because part of the great journey with these guys is we've tried to bring them to life we've tried to give them humor and kind of humility and uh, rapport um make them a sort of you know team of lads that you're that you're sort of proud of as a as a heart supporter so so as a, i think as a hearts fan you you come out of it with a, a real sense of pride in your club and just a, an enormous sense of kind of gratitude for, for for what those guys did i think and if you're not a hearts fan i think you can still appreciate all of the sort of you know human elements of, of that story yeah and i i i went to it with my non-heart supporting other half as well and she thoroughly enjoyed it so i think yeah it doesn't matter if you're a hearts fan um but for those listening who are hearts fans i would say it's a definite um definitely something you need to get to during the festival I like the, the the fact you you speak about it being very immersive and and you start in one position um and the actors are all there and you end in the the memorial garden uh taking this forward one thing I did a cruise a few years ago we went up to Halifax in Nova Scotia and I went to the citadel in Halifax and they've got full size trenches from the first world war that they've they've kind of they've put together um as close to what it potentially was like back then over 100 years ago and part of your entry money is to be able to walk through these trenches and and see this the small compartments where um the 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 men kind of slept before they fought and it, it it kind of stuck with me. That was that was four years ago. But that's something that will always stick with me because how important is it when when you've got a play that's a great play, but if it's also a great play that people can get involved in, whether it's an interaction with the crowd or or moving around with the actors, I always feel that that's going to have far more um, kind of relevance 
to an audience what you're doing right now, rather than just something which most of them are impossible to do that. But being in the trenches, now knowing what that was potentially like, it kind of sticks with you, doesn't it? Oh, completely. And we've, you know, one of the great things at the show is we've, we've built a, a sort of trench set and you you sit under canvas. We've managed to get the canvases installed today. So uh, you, you kind of, you are completely immersed in that kind of trench, you know, kind of world. And, and I think that's, oh absolutely crucial to have mm -hmm. as you say yeah. that that experience you've got the sound effect of the of the kind of shells exploding and all that kind of stuff so you you know it's still a play and it's all make-believe and you know uh but actually for 20 minutes you you kind of just get that little taster of what it might have been like to be you know stuck in a field in france and um, and i think that's what gives it its added power you know and that's uh quite hard to do necessarily in a sort of I'm not sure what of two has would work so well in a big you know, 2,000 seat of theatre or whatever, it's because it yeah. lose that immediacy. You know? So the story that goes with A War of Two Halves, um, most Hearts fans will be familiar with that particular um, part in history. Uh, but your other production, Sweet F.A., which we discussed last year, which is also showing, slightly different because it's uh, a story that, I think a lot of people wouldn't have been overly familiar with, isn't it? That I know that again, like one or two halves, you're talking about adding some fiction to it, but the the basis for what you've kind of uh, you've put this um, play together on is in truth. Yeah, so I mean, it, it came from a conversation with Anne Park, who's one of the directors here, and and she said to me, "Well, did you know that there was a a, a women's game at Tynecastle in 1921?" and Bobby Walker was a, a referee that might make an interesting story. And um, well, well, interesting, that was, you know, uh, it was quite a high, I think it's 15,000 crowd. And, you know, this was probably 2018, 19, when I was talking about it, just really before women's football kind of started to boom as it has over the last couple of years. And it just really stuck with me that that was a thing. And then we, we tried to research into it and found almost nothing. It's almost a sort of forgotten chapter of, you know, history about what was going on back in in the sort of First World War at home with the the, the women's game. And the, the key statistic, I probably said it last time, but there was a game at Goodison Park at, at Everton that had 53,000 fans in it in 1920. <laughs> and, the, and the men's FA Cup final only had 51,000 that year. And that was, you know, 100 years ago. And I was astonished by that. I didn't know anything about it. You know, I kind of thought women's football was quite a new thing. And... Um, and then as you dug into it, you found out the truth, which was that the, the FAs banned it in 1921. They banned women playing, basically because it was getting too popular, to cut a, a long story short. And, and the ban stayed in place for 50 years. So all of that, we started to go, well, there's a, there's a rich story to tell, which comes from the same period as A War of Two Halves, and, and obviously has a football link. So that's, that's where that one came from. So obviously origins in um, what happened with women's football in terms of becoming popular but being banned um but tell us how you kind of brought that to life in the fictional tale that you've obviously created and how that links in with with hearts and scottish football yeah i mean originally we wanted to tell a story of a team a bit like war of two halves and, and link it in but it, but it sort of became obvious that there wasn't a, enough historical evidence to be able to to do that so what we had to do was try and piece together the key facts and 
and the story you know takes you up to the point of the ban really and, and what was going on with the, the women's workers at that time we, we tried to use a lot of truth so we you know we set it in the North British Rubber Company which is used to be at Fountain Bridge it's now a printmakers I think and um, we looked at you know some of the key moments with the FA actually at one point were really supporting it because it was good for them it was kind of seen as their the really popular thing at the time so they jumped on the bandwagon and um, and we've basically told a story of a, of a, of a team from <laughs> the West End of uh, Edinburgh who play Maroon, who uh, play the local rivals, who play in green, Ramage and Ferguson's, the shipbuilders, Philippe. And uh, we just follow the story of those women and what was happening to them. And uh, there's an interesting moment in the play where some of the soldiers start to come back. And if you've watched War of Two Halves and seen what the men have gone through, and then you see what the women have gone through, you get this really strange sort of clashing feeling where you understand that well, the men need their jobs back, but the women have been doing them for three years really well. And, and there's a sort of, sort of cultural clash, which which must have been really hard at the time. And um, I'm making it sound very serious. There's <laughs> a lot of humour and fun and camaraderie and everything in it and joyous songs and things, but they're, they're the basis of how, of how we brought the story to Yeah, well, let's, well, let's listen to a quick clip from, um, from Sweet FA now as well. Yeah, I think what I like about, I mean, both productions is, you know, there's similarities in terms of you've got a nice mix of, of humour, um, but with some some serious topics in there. But also the fact they're quite different because this sort of the immersive journey around Tyne Castle for War of Two Halves, um, it's a bit more of a, not quite traditional, because it's a lovely set that you've got um, at Tyne Castle for Sweet FA, but it's a bit more of your traditional on-stage show. But um, a lot more, I thought, fun humour um, and... Uh, I thought the the songs were terrific in this, and I think people will find it very entertaining. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a little bit more heartwarming than than the sort of devastation of a war of two halves, and and we have a good old go at the, uh, the Scottish football authorities because yes, yes, <laughs> uh, yes, you've got to mention that because <laughs> um, obviously at the time of writing it, it was it was all round about the you know sort of horrible period at the sort of demotion, relegation, all that stuff, and Dundee and. Uh, all those things, and and so we've managed to kind of weave a, a sort of similar narrative into the into the show, which which kind of sends up the um, we call them the shady footballing authority, the SFA for short. So it, 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 yeah, it's it's a sort of light-hearted uh, jab with with some you know quite pointed moments <laughs> as well. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's more it's definitely more fun and it's more light-hearted and there's there's live music. We've got two beautiful you know musicians who who really support the, the, the singing and. There's a couple of songs with eight women who've got beautiful voices just building it out around an empty time castle. It's so atmospheric and evocative. It's, it's, it's brilliant. So if someone's interested in seeing one of or both uh, War of Two Halves uh, or Sweet Effie, how do they go about getting tickets? When is it on? How does it all work? Uh, so the quickest answer is that both the Hearts website and the Fringe website, if you just search either title, you'll find find information on on both shows there sweet fa's got a slightly shorter run because of um 
they play football here as well, apparently. So we've, <laughs> we've got to take the, uh, the scaffolding down before the European game on the 25th. So the last show is the 23rd. And um, what if the half runs through till the till the 29th? And I should very quickly say, if you don't mind, a massive thank you to Brendan Cantwell at ASC Scaffolding, who who's supplied the, the scaffolding and, and allowed us literally a, a platform to, to perform on. Very good. No, you, you can feel free to, to, to thank them for it. So, yeah, get on the website, uh, get some tickets. Uh, I'd recommend both. I have been to both. I'm going to try and get at least one of them um, before the end of the showings this month. And, um, yeah, just really excellent shows. It's just a shame, Mark, that you, you're too far away. I don't know if, if it will make it over to Connecticut anytime soon. On tour. I'd love to see that. Edinburgh Festival and, and the Fringe was... It was a highlight of, of one of the highlights of, of living in Edinburgh when I did. Um, lucky enough to see many comics before they made it big and, and intimate kind of surroundings. And, and that's why the, 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 it appeals for both of them. I'd love to see Sweet FA. Um, not just, be, I mean, we, we, I listened to your uh, to your podcast when Bruce was on a year ago and, and that, that kind of, that gained, uh, piqued an interest. Um just the, the whole banning of, of, women, of women's football for so long. You just wonder if that never happened, where would we be with the popularity? Not a case of a pendulum swinging. It has to be one's popular and one's not as popular. But you, you just wonder if you're seeing full houses for Hearts games at home, the Hearts women obviously coming back uh, against Partick at the weekend, a hat-trick from the new signing um, to, to win by three goals to one. They're putting money into that. What would have happened if if things would have been different back then and, and they were on a, a kind of even keel? Would the women be playing to similar numbered crowds as as the men are? Because as Bruce said, um, the, was it the women's FA Cup final getting more than the men's FA Cup final uh, over 100 years ago? So... I think it's I think it's great. I think it's really interesting. And and the other thing I would love to do is go to Contal Maison. I'd love to see a war of two hearts, but I'd love to. And a friend of mine, George Hutchison, goes over there every single year and um, sometimes represents Hearts. It, it, our future um, is still to be decided. But our past, everyone should know about our past, and that's just not during the the kind of years that we've been on this planet. I mean, what the guys. And not just from hearts, um, what the men did back then, the sacrifices that they made uh, is is quite incredible. And it's a story that everyone should be aware of. And uh, I really hope that between now and the end of the run for a war of two halves on the, the 29th and for Sweet FA on the 23rd, um, I hope people can go and see it and, um, and, and just enjoy it. Because from what Laurie said, having seen them both so far, it's a, a fantastic uh, hour and a bit or a couple of hours entertainment. Okay, moving on. Uh, before we have a quick preview, on. before we have a quick preview of Hearts' next game, just to mention a couple of things that we have already put on social media. So we were like what we've done for the last couple of years, canvassing opinion from from listeners, you guys at home, um, about feedback on the podcast, on what you like, what you don't like, and what things you like to hear added. So a couple of changes, um, not changes, but additions that you'll see coming up soon. Um, when European football starts for Hearts, we are going to be doing an extra episode every European week. So um, when Hearts are playing on the Thursday evening, 
We'll have a podcast early in the week looking ahead to that game, reviewing the last league game, and we will then have an extra episode, which will be out, should be around a Friday, um, definitely by Saturday, reviewing the European game. It'll be Make Some Noise, those episodes, and we'll be able to get a, a good feel for how hearts have done, a proper reaction immediately after the game, and hopefully it gives people a little bit extra from the podcast over the coming months and hopefully it's something we can carry into the new year when we're playing European football after Christmas, <laughs> he said optimistically. Um, another new segment we'll be adding is a monthly, I'm going to call it a fan phone-in, a phone-in style show, um, which will give you guys, the listeners, <laughs> a chance to get in touch. And Were you at the game today? Are you accusing me of mendacity? Oh, plenty, <laughs> plenty classics from years gone by. Um, so... We will update you with more details of that when we have it, but keep an eye on the Twitter account at Around the Funnel. And of course, keep listening and we'll let you know um, as and when those details are released. And I should also mention as well, to help us uh, to keep developing the podcast, uh, we are looking for a sponsor. Um, so if you are an organisation who feels that you could benefit from getting some exposure through the podcast, then feel free to get in touch. You can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk for a sponsorship pack. And hopefully it gives a company some good exposure, some good advertising, and helps us to further develop the podcast in the coming months and years. Okay, before we go, let's look ahead to Sunday. Another Sunday game for Hearts. This is going to be a recurring theme, um, certainly before Christmas anyway. This time, not because it's live on TV, not because the game um, is uh, being rescheduled because Hearts are in Europe, but it's because Dundee United will be playing in the Netherlands this Thursday evening. They've got quite a tough trip to Alkmaar for their second leg against AZ after an impressive victory at Tanadice in the first leg. So that means that Hearts played Dundee United on Sunday. Um, Mark, a United team that felt a little bit of a European hangover at the weekend. They lost to Livingston at Tanadice 1-0. Very tough trip. We obviously hope, well certainly I hope, um, that they do well and they manage to get through for a Scottish football and a coefficient perspective. But from a Hearts perspective, it's something that we will hopefully be able to take advantage of come Sunday. No excuses. Absolutely none. Uh, I watched their first leg against AZ. I thought they were absolutely outstanding. And we've seen it so often with, with, with not just Scottish teams. When you play on a Thursday night, you, you win a game you're not expected to. There's, at the time, there's a hangover. But they're a good side. Dylan Levitt is a super player. Stephen Fletcher is a good signing. Uh, Tony Watt, I think he'll come come good and get among the goals as well. And, and they're playing some, some really good stuff. But they'll be tired. They'll, it's not a long journey back from Holland, but if it goes extra time and another half hour, who knows? <laughs> sounds like sounds like previewing the Scottish Cup final, but talking about the Rangers. <laughs> oh, if that, if that Europa League final goes to extra time of penalties, I fancy that. We've got to be up for it. We've got to be up for it. I hope Kingsley's back. If Kingsley's back, does he come in for roles? Or do we go to a back three of Rolls, Kingsley and Halkett? And if so, who misses out from the side that played at, uh, at Easter Road? That's a, that's a very good question because I would suggest you start with the same team, usually, because I like the team we started with. Um, 
However, Stephen Kingsley was arguably our best outfield player last season. So he, he would struggle Kingsley's, to... If Kingsley's fit, he plays. He's not, if, if, that's what I mean. If Under other circumstances, I mean, I'd say I like that team. I like the way we started in terms of the formation. I actually thought we were poor first half, as I've said. But tough one because I prefer the back four in many ways. Um, but if Kingsley's back in... I think we might see it go to that. I'd be happy to to see that because you also can't drop Cochrane because he's been our best player the first two games of the season. Well, you're not you're not dropping Cochrane. Would you do Kingsley for roles? If you I, a four for the Dundee United game, I would be inclined to see us maybe play the three um, Smith on the right, Cochrane left, but I would be happy to see Kingsley come in for roles as well and do just that like-for-like like change. Although I would feel that's quite harsh on Kai Rolls, who I thought I thought, I thought thought him and Halkett were excellent on, on I, Sunday. Yes. On the whole, for 94 and a half minutes. <laughs> yeah, just with Rolls, um, I, I think he'll be a super just raw defender. Uh, forget everything that goes about it. Just as a defender, I think he will, he will develop into a really, really good defender. I think his distribution needs to be better. Um, and I think you could say that about a lot of the Hearts players. I, I watched them intently in that game. There were three or four where it, it's not the clearest he's into the stand. That Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. That's just a get rid, regroup, move on. Just giving the ball away. I don't think Matty Atkinson, and this this, this, this sounds like I'm picking on the Aussies because Gowser's not here, but I think Atkinson and, and Rolls and others need to be better with the ball at their feet. Because we want to have the option to, if we have to go back to a centre-back, to keep it moving, um, to keep playing, keep the speed going. And we can't have to, oh, well, to miss him out because he's not the best with the ball at his feet. So as a pure, just straight-up defender, I think we've got a gem in Kai Rolls. I'd be working on his distribution. Um, so they play 4-2-3-1 Dundee United. And... I'd probably go four as well. If Kingsley's back, that's a tough one, isn't it? If if Kingsley's back, I'd put him in for roles. But I'm happy with a three as well if it's Kingsley, Rolls, and Halkett. How about you, Bruce? Do you, you fancy Hearts to keep the same formation? I'm assuming you'd put Kingsley back in as well if he's fit. Yeah, I mean, I think he's your best player. And I, I suppose my instinct is that we probably are going to have to rotate a wee bit over the next... Uh, certainly up till Christmas, so I suspect that maybe roles dropping out for Kingsley might, you know, be the kind of thing that's happening as we as we go forward. I mean, probably if we'd asked this question ninety four minutes at Easter Road, we probably all said play the four because we look best in the four. But you know, obviously with the late goal and switching to a three, it's less comfortable at the moment. I think if Kingsley's fit, he's not played a competitive league game or whatever. I think he has to go in, and then you kind of work from there. I think. What happens if he starts, makes a mistake because he's not fit? I mean, it's a difficult one that Rob, that Robbie's got. Only Robbie will, will and, and Stephen Kingsley will know just how fit. Because Bruce is right, you're, you'd be throwing a guy in that's, that's not played a, com, a competitive game. I think I think if it's a hamstring, if, depending on the severity of the hamstring, it's, it's kept him out for a couple of weeks, which isn't it isn't much. And he was he, he did the entirety of, of pre-season. You know what? I think the sensible thing would would be to to name the same starting eleven. If there's if if Kingsley's not one hundred percent, if he's ninety five and it's no problem, then that's a decision that he's got to make. 
So I think we've covered every single base, and then we can see next week. Yep, we told you. <laughs> well, well, well. Let's get to a scoreline and a scorer. Then, Mark, what do you think? I think they'll score, but we'll score more. Two one hearts, and the goal will be scored by Barry Mackay. Okay. I'm going to be slightly more optimistic and say 3-1 hearts. And although I think Shanklin will score, I feel I can't just keep saying Shanklin every week um, because he's our number nine and he's probably going to be our top scorer this season. So I feel like it's a bit of a cop-out. So I am going to say... <laughs> what? This has got Barry Mackay written all over it. Well, I say Barry Mackay every single week in the hope he'll finally get his first goal for the football club. So I'm not going to say him this week. I'm going to say somebody else. And then Barry Mackay goes and scores. Well, I'm not going to say Barry Mackay now. I'm, uh, the the uh, Liam boys. No, no, no it's kind of like cheating. I can't just say Shanklin every week. It's cause it's kind of... oh, so if it's 3-1 and, and Shanklin scores and, and Boyce doesn't, you're then I'll say, well, that's what I was going to... Then I'll then I'll use that excuse next week. <laughs> Bruce, what do we reckon? Bruce, what do you think? Uh, I am going to say, I think we need a clean sheet. So I'm going to say 2-0. And I am hoping our set piece uh, is better this weekend. Oh, so we forgot to talk about corners, didn't we? How bad were they? Oh, my, sorry, oh sorry, my goodness. But, I'm glad you brought it up because it. it gives us a... The free kicks and corners were dreadful. Uh, George Grant is, uh, looks a tidy player, but... I think it was his brother, needs, Jorge Grant, that never played needs football. needs to improve his set-piece delivery. Um, more frustrating because I thought Hebs were putting some really good set-piece. Um, you know, Henderson and, and Newell, but yeah, Grant's delivery was not the best. So hopefully we see some improvements. Um, Halkett, Halkett, I reckon. I was going to say, yeah, what was your score? 2-0 and Halkett. Yeah. Okay. 2-0 and Halkett, I'm going for Excellent. Scored against Dundee United last season, so hopefully he can, can do it again this time. Um, but I'll take that. All all victories for Hearts, which is tends to be the way of it, to be fair, when we do predictions. Funny that. Um, but whatever happens, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be, we will be back next week to review the game. And because it's a European week next week, we're not going to go into too much detail on the European game because we're going to have an episode before then and we're going to speak into someone to give us a bit of a lowdown on our likely opponents. At the time of recording this, it's not confirmed, but we all know we think it's going to be the Swiss team. So we'll have someone to help us out with that. And then we'll have another episode afterwards to review the game itself. So until then, thank you for joining me, Mark. Thank you for joining me, Bruce. And all the best with the show for the rest of August. And uh, thank you to everyone for tuning in at home. <laughs>